HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. Hi, this is Lisa Held, host of The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I record my show because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories about how your food is produced. At this critical moment in time, stories about how and what we eat are more important than ever. I am so honored to be a part of the HRN community of hosts telling those stories. Whether that means hearing from farmers about using soil health to sequester carbon, giving marginalized groups a voice in the industry, or just bringing people together over a good meal. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, and we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love for my show by selecting The Farm Report in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Today, I'm here with Kiana Mickey, the executive director of Just Food, a nonprofit organization that has been at the forefront of building sustainable regional food systems in New York and beyond for over 20 years. Welcome, Kiana. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm so excited you're here. I feel like I've known about Just Food for so long. It's been, it's one of these organizations that has really been a leader in the food movement, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we've been around since, um, 1995. So, um, you know, I think um, many folks see us and I am definitely proud to be um, part of like that vanguard of like sustainable agriculture and food and farm policy in the region and in the city in particular. And so I know Just Food as kind of um, basically like the CSA organization, Mm -hmm. right? Like when I think of the organization, I think that, you know, I I feel like it's an organization that really made 
um, the network of CSAs in New York um, a thing, right? Like, oh, may, yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, there were definitely a few farmers in our area that were um, figuring out how to um, build a CSA model in the city. But um, I think Just Food, one of our strongest um, milestones was being able to start from like five farmers to like 10 community members and trying to figure out what a model looks like, making it more accessible to neighborhoods across the city and increasing that from five farmers to over 30 farmers and really now being like the strongest, largest CSA network in our region and in our city for sure. Right. Does the organization actually run the CSAs or did it just sort of set them up and now they, it's kind of like you're just introducing people to where they can find them? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, Just Food has really always been kind of um, rooted in self-determination of community food projects and leaders. So with the CSA network, we don't manage, we manage, we help manage the network, but we don't manage the individual site. Got it. But what we do offer is technical assistance, um, capacity building and resources to build the collective power of individual CSA sites. So that's been, you know, over time starting CSA, so connecting them to farmers um, when that was like a new part, um, finding new opportunities and community groups in the city. And then now over time, since it's been, you know, about 20 five years, mm-hmm. like how to keep those relationships going? What do they need to sustain to thrive? Um, mer- you know, merge if they have to, but what really makes them strong and how do we continue to increase farm viability? Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's been kind of an ongoing part of the yeah. organization's work, right? Since the beginning. Um, and then you started in 2017. So not too long ago, a couple of years. Sort of. Okay. Um, I actually came through programming. One of my first, um, and this has been about nine years, has been my relationship with Just Food. I started oh. as, um, I went to a community advocacy training. Um, and, and learned about um, food and farm policy, um, community um, organizing, and you know some of those building blocks in terms of f- feeling my power on how I could connect to policy and agriculture and bringing food justice to my community. Okay. And that really inspired me into finding new ways to bring in other folks. I really, at that point, didn't feel... I was like inspired by... The policy, but also just saw the gaps. And Mm. I wanted to get more folks just like me. Like, how do we get aware? How do we connect to our power? How can we shift? Um, What were were you doing before that? Oh, yeah. I I didn't even ask you. Oh, yeah. No worries. Um, I've done work in nonprofits. Um, I've done, like, development work in the past. I've worked, uh, did development at an arts-based charter school in the South Bronx. I also long time ago worked in production and entertainment. Oh. Um, yeah, I've had a, <laughs> it's been an interesting road to like food justice, social yeah. justice work. So okay, so sorry, I interrupted you, but oh, no. so you so you're saying you know it was actually like nine years ago though that you started working with Just Food. Yeah, yeah. I started as um, again like as a participant in um, a training, mm. and what is really great about our trainings is it's really um, learner centered. So um, not just learning from the teachers, but connecting to your own power and connecting to your own expertise and lived experience. So it gave me the strength to feel more confident to talk about something like policy or to learn more about it, to connect it to other folks. And from there, um, I did more volunteering, more engagement around food and farm policy. It was like around the farm bill time. So doing more of that, learning for myself as well. And then um, there was an opportunity, a job opportunity around CSA 
um, at first an assistant position that was part-time, and then I was able to um, get that job. And Got then it. from there, moved into, like, other positions. Um, I left briefly and um, worked at, like, a food hub in the city, mm. and then um, came back in 2017, um, and then shortly became the ED after that. Got it. Okay. So Long the 2017 <laughs> is just since you've been the executive director. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so I, I um, before the, the show, I read an article saying that, um, well, it was about your gala and mm-hmm. how the gala had changed, but how that was kind of a sign of a bigger shift in the organization. Yes. So what's the shift? Tell me what's different. Yeah. Um, you know, what I really learned from Just Food, and I think what we did really well being that Vanguard was... Um, Continuing the shift from food security. So what was initially like a farmer focus on making sure that farmers were not displaced from land and, you know, rural farmers displaced mm-hmm. from land. And over time, like adding urban agriculture training or city farm projects where they were connecting to new markets. What I realized um, in my time in, in this work and then being the ED is what we weren't really what we were talking about food justice we weren't really um, being as bold about the power or the inequities that we were still facing. Like land was still being lost. Mm -hmm. There's still, you know, farmers, disproportionately black and Latino farmers that are not landowners. Right. Um, There's still neighborhoods that are not getting this like healthy, great food. So I just felt like, you know, just food was kind of at a pivot of identity and impact and also like, how do we really move into that equity lens that that really kind of talked about the power. So food became less about just connecting folks to food. Food really became a driver of how to really shift like power, health and wealth. And that's really what was like the impetus of our like change in direction and mission. Like, Mm. are we really focused on um, shifting like the health, wealth of these communities and who are those communities? And for us, it started to become clearer it's economically and historically marginalized communities. Right. So in particular, small-scale, sustainable farmers, um, trying to connect more to producers, um, commun- you know, individuals that want to do nutrition education. So how do you, now that you have the food, what do you do with this food? How do you connect culturally to the recipes of your ancestors to the food now? Um, how do we learn from that? And also, um, you know, Black and Latino, LGBTQ women, like, you know, folks that are typically been invisible in this work on a rural level and the urban level, how do we really center them where our programs are focused on amplifying them as opposed to um, uh, serving them? So uh-huh. kind of shifting from like that charity model that I think a lot of nonprofits do where it's like you don't have these things. You're coming from this deficit lens. For us, it's really been like with an equity lens, there should really be something around power, how do we, if we're going to, if we're focused on trying to make sure folks aren't hungry, what do you need to do that? Those are real clear aggregation logistic models that we need to make sure farmers have. What are the opportunities downstate that are actually giving their food a home? Is that's a home in a consumer level or in a business level? Like, where is this food going? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think for us, it opened the door to like, what's next? How do we actually do that hard work of wealth building in our community and also as an organization bringing in those resources that have been divested from. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, 
where my mind goes is like, how mm-hmm. do you do that? Like how, mm-hmm. uh, not, I'm not going to make you explain <laughs> no, everything, good. but just, you know, maybe an example of, of how, of your programming now, yes. um, that speaks to a way that you are sort of shifting, trying to shift the power and the health and the wealth, um, like, what does that look like in terms of the actual organization's programming? Yeah. You know, at first it really was honing in on, again, like, who are our true partners and how does that continue to shift? Who And hearing from them what is still missing in their work. So they're so focused on doing what they're doing, whether that's growing, teaching, um, doing policy, but is there capacity and resources that they're still missing? Mm. So what it really kind of ta- it started to show me was we – what was missing are the scale. Are we scaling up or are we scaling in depth? And I think there are a lot of groups that are serving, you know, or trying to meet big disparities Mm. and there's trying to scale up. And I realized who was continuing to get missed are folks that scale in depth. And those are small scale folks. That's hyper local growers and farmers. Those are like individuals that are community chefs. That's grassroots policy and advocacy. So what I've been trying to do is really kind of going through projects and really trying to see how we can meet those 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 um, those those core equity principles, environmental, racial, and economic equity. So you know, practically for like farmers yeah. um, and producers, you know, I think the focus is increasing capital, mm. um, increasing resources back into them, um, cre- increasing markets. And relevant and um, relevant policies, and also access to those grants and programs. So, are we helping address displacement and land ownership of small-scale farmers? Can we do that more for farmers that are disproportionately impacted, like Black and Indigenous farmers, Latino farmers, women farmers? Um, and if we're doing that, the way we can do that well is our connection to markets in the city. So, sorry, that's like, again, like, is that a consumer level? Is that a business level? What are those hard um, pieces or connections? What are those value chains that we can take a step back instead of being redundant in our work of other nonprofits? Are we truly understanding the gaps in the chain, making sure that small scale folks are getting those connections and we're building like a network or an economy that again, like food is that driver. Are we really trying to understand and see like, are we getting them consistent new markets and opportunities, new relationships? Are we increasing farm viability of those folks? So it's worthwhile coming down in that truck to the city. And there's multiple reasons and places that that your food is gonna go to, maybe even farther than ever before. So you're not just say stopping on the Upper East Side, but maybe it makes sense for you to go to the Lower East Side. Right. Maybe if you're a farmer coming from Jersey, it's it's worth not just stopping in Staten Island, but there might be even worth you know another market opportunity in the um, say Lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. or you know or other communities in Staten Island. How are we getting beyond just what we know our model has reached, and how do we get to folks? Um, you know, one of our um, farmers that we work with, um, or what we try to encourage and learn from our relationships is okay, these are the neighborhoods we've been to. Who is still missing out? Mm. How do we support farmers on one end and on the other side, the self-determination of community leaders? Is that through community-run farmers markets? 
Is it through other food projects? Is it through business? Is it through CSA? So it's for us, it's really been trying to, you know, create like better tools like our map and our database. So we're able to make those connections and relationships um, easier. It's really kind of becoming the connective tissue mm. of this work. So the chain is more realistic. And really being able to see like where the gaps in aggregation and logistics are. So we're not just telling farmers, come on down to the city, but they actually have a reason to, to come down and their food is going to have a home and they're going to have consistent business. So it makes sense to keep coming down. And if we can continue to shift that in neighborhoods of color, in neighborhoods that are mixed income, if there's ways to get that to more homebound folks, um, uh, you know, medically vulnerable folks, then that's really the work for us to do. And that's really what I've been trying to shift us towards. Right. I love that idea of connective tissue. What, yeah. a, cool, <laughs> what a cool term to use in this context. Yeah, it's like, it's so needed. Um, and I've seen that more and more in this like work and time. It's like, it's so needed to, um, to be that piece, especially on a small scale mm-hmm. where farmers are able to focus on farming yeah, of and, course. And, and building their business, but we can use our capacity and resources to support that work. And at the same time, know when to step back when they should be the voice of their lived experience. So if that looks like, you know, farmer fly-ins on policy level mm-hmm. or being informed by their experience in order to write grants, what are we actually doing where the policies are shifting and getting those resources to them. So sometimes it is about an organization stepping up to use our resources and capacity to, say, speak to elected officials or start relationships with businesses or new community groups. But at the same time, it's been for us when to step back and make sure those are still direct connections as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about... um, one of the things you said, which is about sort of amplifying um, the work of growers from communities that historically have been marginalized, have, you know, mm-hmm. not had access to resources, right. black farmers, Latino farmers, um, women. Um, and there's so much, I feel like we hear so much about young people, of diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. getting into farming and um, the latest agricultural census data just came out. Um, It's from 2017, but, you know, it's the federal government. So two years later, we have the data. Um, (laughs) But one of the most discouraging parts of the census for me was that it showed that more than 95% of American farmers are white. Mm -hmm. And the average age of the American farmer is still rising. It's like inching up towards 60. I think it's something like 58 something. Um, but so, I mean, I think it's obvious there's, there's still such incredible barriers for young people, people of color, right. right. To get into farming. Um, what do you think needs to happen to really encourage, not only encourage more people of diverse backgrounds to get into farming, but also right. the people that are already doing it to give them access to resources and a lot, you know. No, exactly. I mean, I think it's great that there are grants and resources and even programs that are speaking to um, new farmers or addressing, like, how do we get more folks into farming? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like where our strength is and where my work really lands is, are we just 
moving them into a precipice where there's no enterprise or opportunity. Oh my gosh, that's, yeah, absolutely. You know, we can train folks as much as we want. And, you know, luckily there have been programs that do that. However, what happens after the training? Right, you don't want them to become <laughs> farmers if then there's no market and you can't make a living, and right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, for us, it's really been okay, how do we really learn from existing farmers? What are models that were um, profitable, regenerative, valuable? And how do we continue to build off on that? And again, I think, you know, when you have an equity lens, you start to see that there were missed opportunities across the chain. We were missing opportunities of different neighborhoods. We were missing opportunities of diversifying businesses and wholesale. We're, we're, you know, when I think a lot of this work is so scaled up, and that might be capitalism, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> is, you know, we always think like the answer is in scale. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and scaling up and volume. And that's the only way that you can like benefit from like demand or de- benefit from cost or decrease cost. But what we really miss out on is there are genuine folks that still have dollars. Um, There's money that has been purposely kept from farmers, growers, eaters, um, community leaders, actual neighborhoods, you know, systemically from the individual level to um, the community and like policy level. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, what I'm trying to say is like there is um, historical and purposeful policies and practices that were made to keep folks that are the most impacted from being the most activated, from being the drivers of their own wealth building. And so I think what we can do at a small scale, at a feasible scale, is not lose those folks in that chain. How do we really focus on small to family scale farmers, hyper-local farmers, to find markets for them that will speak to that scale mm-hmm. and that would want to support them and, and want to know who that farmer is because that's the kind of farmer they want to support because of their practices, because they're fair, you know, being fair on their labor, be, being good environmental stewards, you know, and that price is something that can be not just affordable, but accessible. And we understand that price and we're fighting for that price. I think for just food, it's not, again, like, I think for a long time, it was just let's build that connection and that's just it. Or I think some folks are like, let's just identify those farmers and that's just it. But no, there's really a need to figure out how do you make consistent markets and opportunities for individuals and businesses so those farmers have a place. Are we building a pipeline that really addresses the logistic needs of going from the rural, you know, from the upstate to the down? Are we making sure that folks that are of color are new farmers? Are those opportunities where smaller markets would actually be a great entry point for them as opposed to just ignoring those and saying it's not big enough? And, you know, for us, it's like building on their chain as they're coming down. Is it really figuring out with the farmers themselves, is the aggregation upstate or downstate? How do we really build those pieces that for so long people have skipped because they thought we were too small or too black or too too poor? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we really see these opportunities as opposed to gap? And uh, can we pivot into opportunities or are we going to always see them as deficits? And I think for just food, for, for us, it's really shifting on that. Right. Like shifting on seeing the using our time and capacity and resources to build those relationships. So farmers aren't 
aren't stretched to do that. Community leaders aren't stretched to do that. But we're learning about cooperative business practices. We're learning about policies. So that informs the relationships that we're building with each other. Mm. And that, to me, is like a solidarity economy that we see on an international level. And, you know, to me, the CSA model has been constantly inspiring to me on, on terms of how to connect that. And on an international level, they speak about solidarity economy, and CSA is a real root of that. And I want to bring that back to our region. Um, that I want to I want to dig into that. Um, we have to take a quick break. Mm-hmm. So let's do that for a word from our sponsor. And then as soon as we come back, let's um, dive more into the CSA model. Um, I, yeah, I want to really... Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Kiana Mickey, the executive director of Just Food. So um, right before the break, we started to kind of talk a little bit more about the CSA model. And um, I cut it off because I really want to get into this. Um, I'm so interested in CSAs because I think like for so long they were seen as the best model in terms of getting healthy, fresh food to eaters while really supporting small farms. Um, It allows farmers to Mm -hmm. plan ahead for the season, get access to capital up front when they need it. Um, And I think it develops this sort of long-term relationship between farms and eaters, right? That like with a farmer's market, you might go a couple of times and then right. fall off. Um, so, I mean, there, there's so many aspects of CSAs that seem so effective. Um, but then I've also kind of heard that, you know, there's some statistics that show people belong to them and then tend to fall off and not rejoin. Um, and I'm just curious, so you've got this long history of CSAs um, and, now sort of in the context of continuing to build a local food movement with while really prioritizing equity, do you still feel like CSAs are the best model? Um, I think CSA a model is still a really good model that we should continue to support. Mm. Um, we should continue to figure out how to get it to continue to make it more accessible and more affordable. Mm. I think for a long time, Just Food is um, explored different strategies on doing that on the farmer end and the um, member side. And I definitely don't think this is the time to um, uh, abandon that. If anything, I think it's the time to, uh, to to be bold and step into that a little bit more. Mm. And, I, you know, that's kind of, to me, the inspiration for that is for a long time when I was doing the CSA program work and I'm hearing those, I'm seeing members um, 
lower. I'm mm-hmm. hearing from farmers. I'm hearing from core group leaders. You know, I really was trying to find inspiration beyond just our city work and our existing work. And something that really spoke to me was when I had the chance to start connecting to international CSA communities and mm-hmm. partners and really seeing how they and on the international level, truly see themselves as connecting to like peasant farmers. So huh. that does speak to, you know, for us here, like small scale. So it's like, we should do that. They also, the CSA model is very radical still in other areas. And I think we need to get back to those radical or what seems like um, pushing against the status quo and using that model to do that. I do think, um, you know, what we've seen in the city, and I don't want to minimize, you know, folks to struggle in terms of like, what do I do with my share? Mm-hmm. Or it's too much for me, or it's not in my neighborhood. I think it's been for us to really um, challenge ourselves in the last couple of years, the last two years, to really dig deeper into that. Um, one of the struggles has been funding. You know, um, when CSA was fairly new, it was a very funded project and it was well-resourced. And I think that really helped spur the growth of the CSA network mm-hmm. and, you know, ours and, and others, you know, more independent ones in the city. But I think over time it started to look like, oh, it's been there, done that. And I think we need to actually um, think about what the resources are in terms of bringing innovations to that CSA model. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, again, it's, it's still a viable model for farmers um, from what I, you know, hear, and I want to support that. But I also think we have to increase their farm viability. That's not just through membership, but there's also strategies that can be done. I think what's been great, um, Ag and Markets recently um, gave us some funding to really increase um, community food project access through SNAP and EBT. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, what we've been trying to explore more and more is on the value principle or equity principle, how to get more folks that are food insecure to local food in models that are in their neighborhood. That's a definite plus. But it, to me, it's, it's increasing farm viability. If there are more folks that have access to other capital to buy food, mm-hmm. it's going straight into the local food market. It's going straight to that farmer. That is a way to help expand membership. That's a way to diversify it, to make it more equitable. But it's also increasing farm viability. And I think sometimes, you know, in, in policy, people feel it's too esoteric or it's, it splits us apart. I think these are really the times that we need to find the what, things that actually build solidarity among us. Yeah. And I think CSA can still do that. Do you, Are there any initiatives that... Um, allow SNAP and EBT um, recipients to use those dollars for CSAs? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah. I I know that I've seen a lot with farmer's markets. I know that farmer's markets now take SNAP and there's also like great programs where you can like the double up where, Mm -hmm. you know, your dollars go further. But I've never... I never actually have seen a, a CSA. Does that exist in, yeah, in New York? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, Just Food was one of the organizations um, years ago that really advocated and pushed for the policy change to make sure that SNAP was able to be um, accessed at farm shares, um, small base um, food groups, and in particular CSAs. So that's something that we've always kind of helped CSAs do. Mm. But over time, it's our outreach on that has been impacted by the lack of funding to offer it because that really looks like 
um, training, having technical assistance, so folks that are going to, say, process it, or groups that want to be certified to do it really understand what it takes to do that. Mm. And there's a lot of steps in that. And, you know, Yeah, is it a lot? Like, is it, right, probably Government. for the farmer, it's like a ton of paperwork. A ton and, of paperwork yeah. and bureaucracy on the farmer side, ton of um, paperwork and bureaucracy on the community-based right. group side. And again, CSAs are... are volunteer-driven models. Yeah. So they are not folks that have a business. Many of them are not affiliated with a community-based organization that has staff mm-hmm. um, that's going to do that. There's other details in terms of getting certified that can be barriers to them, too, in terms of who's signing up to be the um, for the bank account, who's signing up to be... Um, the CBO, you need it like a CBO partner or a farmer, like the business entity structure. If you're a community group, you don't have a business entity structure. Yeah. You know, so it's it's been some of those barriers that we've continued to try to figure out. And again, like I'm really encouraged um, by the funding that we had and I'm really hoping to continue to find new funding and resources to expand our work around training on EBT. So core group leaders and CSAs are able to um, trained to learn how to accept it. Mm. They're able to learn how to build the relationships they need with entities with a business structure so they can actually be certified to do it. We're able to also train farmers in doing it and then the actual process of it and getting the outreach. So folks that are in the community actually know that it's available. That they can even use it for that, right. Yeah, and that, exactly. Or, I mean, a lot of people in all communities still don't even know what a CSA is, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's like so, there's so many steps, right, just to get to there. No, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's been really encouraging this um, year to really have projects like our Food Startup Project and really, again, looking at some of our historical projects like CSA or farmer relations work. Like, how do we actually do that? And I do think in those ways, it's not only impacting policy and advocacy, because now there would be even more folks that are impacted that would be able to say, like, this is how I use it in my life. This is why I want to support this direct farmer. And I think for us, it continues to build the case for elected officials, groups, entities, whether on the city level or the federal level, to say, this is farm viability, too. Mm. Do not continue to split us on you know political divides and say this is an issue of just food security or SNAP only speaks to communities that you are marginalized. Right. This is actual connector piece between the two. Yeah, that and that's that's huge because those those are often two very different conversations: food access, food security, and then like farm viability. Right. Those are like yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and same with like the farm bill. So long people kind of split in the middle between what is um, food and farm protection for farmers as opposed to food security, like the SNAP. And I think for, again, what we see now more and more, we need true solidarity across the board. We are dealing with inequities that, again, are purposeful and built to keep us marginalized, ostracized, and fighting against each other. We should, in the grassroots, should not be apart. We should really be finding common threads through our work. So when it's time to show up, we can, whether it's with our dollar, going to a CSA or a farmer's market, whether it's through policy and advocacy, whether that's a sign-on letter, or pushing our elected officials to make sure that the upstate and the downstate have those stronger connections, or it's even just for us to really understand from both sides, like, what is this true train? What, why are we supporting farmers? Why do we want this food? And what do they need in order to get it to us? Right. 
I mean, that's that's sort of like the power of local food right there, exactly. right? Like, like growing and buying our own food. Farmers, yes. eaters, communities, like together and not being sold shitty food by corporations, right? Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> sort of like the crux of it. It's yeah. the crux of it. Yeah. You know, so to me, like, I, I love uh, the term solidarity economy. I find it really powering, not empowered, because it truly is saying everybody in this chain is a change maker from the individual to the producer. But, um, you know, at the same time, it's the work that we're doing already. It's the work that farmers are doing already. It's the work that community leaders are doing already. Like a market manager, a CSA core group leader, a person who is joining a CSA who goes to that market, somebody who signed on to letter. Like we are the change makers. You know, so I feel like this is that economy. Like how do we build this multiply effect? If we have this dollar that's so hard fought, how are we making sure that it lives within our community? So it's going to the farmer that we want, to the market that we want, to the CSA that we want, the business that we want, is the restaurant that we're eating, is the chef that we want there. And, you know, never to forget, like, it's so easy to kind of talk about just the food and how we get it or how it ends up on our plate. Mm-hmm. But we really can't forget, like, who is actually growing that food in addition to farmers. We have to talk about farm workers. We have to talk about folks that are in the front and back of the house. We have to talk about volunteers that are like working Mm -hmm. to get this food in our community, whether through business or otherwise. And that's, you know, fair labor. That's fair. You know, that really has to talk about farm workers. It's talking about fair labor across the board. It's talking about not so much questioning always why, Things are so expensive, but why is it that we can't afford to support somebody doing environmental practices so well? Or why can't we support a farmer to pay their farm work as well? We need that dollar to not just, when I say multiplier, it's not just to stretch it across among us. It's really to make sure we're building the wealth in our communities and, and wealth of people, wealth of labor, as well as like wealth of capital and resources. Right. I saw, I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. the value chain map. Yeah. So how does that <laughs> apply to this conversation? I, I saw it on the website yeah. um, and I, I'm just curious exactly what that, what the goal of that map is. Yeah. I, um, huh. so I will, <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is um, <laughs> value chain map. I know it's not the um, most descriptive or sexiest of terms, <laughs> and um, definitely it's a, a term. I mean, I talk about farming. I know a lot about you know unsexy terms. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. And I know, and I've heard from like my partners too, where they're like, "Can we call that something else?" Totally mm-hmm. open to it. Um, what it really is trying to speak to is, can the map? The map is really serving as a public facing. Um, um, a tool to be uh, to increase awareness of local farms that are within 250 miles or as hyper local as the five boroughs. Can people themselves have a map and an opportunity to really just see how they can directly c- connect to farmers and the producers that we want? For us, it's also a place that holds that information on the internal side is like the database. Are we holding information or sharing information, whether through, for individuals? groups, businesses to help build those connections. So when folks say, I want to connect with a black farmer, or I want to mm. connect with a local farmer, we not only, folks are not only able to see it visually or call them, but we're also able on the back end to hold the other parts of that information, like their roots, 
their um, numbers, the products that they're connected to, what are some other farmers that they aggregate from. We want to be able to leverage that information mm-hmm. um, to get it to more folks to make sure like um, they're getting down to the city as much as possible. And we're maximizing that truck route. We're maximizing those connections um, beyond just um, CSA. So for years, we had a CSA map. And then we'd have like a list of like farmers markets and through the map, you might find out about farmers. Mm. We started to realize more and more that some of this information really, if folks are going to really understand what local food is, they need to be able to access that information. And the map was a real clear visual way to, to to do that and also see what the direct connection is. It's like, oh, I can actually go to their website and see what they're doing, how they grow, ask questions. So if I join their CSA, I know this relationship. It's like the base of the building of relationship and that information. And then for us, the map on the back side, there's additional information that we're able to share. So it's like, are there mission-aligned farmers that are really in support of the ethos of like just food? Mm -hmm. Um, Are individuals, businesses, Um, And other entities able to access that information as feasibly as possible. But are we able to leverage it on the back end to build, again, like that connective tissue to get it further to folks? Because it's not going to always be just joining a CSA. Right. Yeah. Well, the name might not be sexy, but it sounds like a great project. (laughs) Trying. And, you know, in typical uh, grassroots fashion, you know, if we um, we've been working um, with volunteers to build out that um, tool. And I really kind of pushed us as an organization to make sure it was a, it was um, software and a tool that was um, as easy to update as possible, um, flexible. Um, but it's like volunteer driven right now. Yeah. With additional funding, um, it would be, we'll be able to do more of the updates and get more folks in. And same, like wanting to make sure that we're, um, increasing awareness to um, to farmers and producers that come down to the city already, who or who want to come down, that folks know like it exists, it's right. there. Yeah, that's amazing. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to wrap up soon, but just before we go, um, what's next for Just Food? Like, what do you see oh, yeah. happening in the next year or five years? Oh yeah. Um, well, I would love to, right now, it's um, working at a scale as we do. It's really hopeful right now to kind of think about the year ahead. Yeah. Um, five years ahead? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, so don't worry. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so in terms of like the future, what we're really trying to do is diversify our funding. So we're getting resources, again, back to the communities and our partners that are um, doing this hard work. Are we continuing to build the infrastructure that's needed to get to amplify their work further? So what that looks like is like stronger CSAs, more vibrant community-run farmers markets, increasing the self-determination and autonomy of those community leaders and projects, you know, continuing to you know lean into farmer needs in order to make sure that they're strong, um, that we're helping them increase viability, building new market opportunities on the downstate you know, starting to look at other aggregation opportunities on the upstate that might actually support their work, Mm. you know, and building that chain. Are we building a more realistic pipeline? Um, Are we getting more, again, disproportionate farmers that have been been impacted? Are we getting more black and indigenous and Latinx farmers in? Are we still supporting small scale farmers? So that looks like, you know, programs like our, um, some of our mushroom enterprise programs. So are we building enterprise 
with our partners? Are we making sure that markets are here for farmers to come down to and their food is going to have a home? Are we building new consistent opportunities that folks that want to scale up, um, scale up in the sense of like start a market or do they need more food? Mm -hmm. um, another thing that is really um, exciting is doing um, supportive work around community-based food hub or other value chain work that's happening in the city. So making sure that hyper-local growers um, and um, producers are actually able to get into chains that their food is going to get to even more folks and that we're building infrastructure like commercial kitchens so they're better able to connect to chefs and restaurants or institutional purchasing mm. um, to be able to, say, make value-added products from that Whole Foods. Are we supporting small businesses in that? So right. that looks like projects like supporting the um, Brooklyn Food Hub, um, supporting, you know, uh, um, our Mushroom Enterprise um project it looks like you know supporting commercial kitchen incubation in order to make sure like we're not um our nutrition education program like community chefs mm. so are we increasing local sourcing by building consistent market and demand in the city so those farmers have a reason and then continuing to find pipelines to black and indigenous and latinx farmers that are new beginning or longstanding that may have lost connection to the city, how do we realistically and, and genuinely with intention build models for them um, and those relationships? We're also doing work around um, youth leadership pipeline, oh, nice. so building like new emerging leaders in the social justice space and policy. You know, more and more, if we're going to talk about capital and resources, we really can have to continue to build policy or inform policy that really speaks to supporting this scale of work. So for us, that's continuing to find new grants and opportunities as an organization to continue our capacity building work. But are there other grants and programs that we should be connecting our existing partners to and working with them on grants in order to really kind of build that pipeline and infrastructure? Right. And are you still doing the annual conference? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we, oh, sorry. Um, we're, it's no longer going to be annual. Okay. What we're doing is biennial. Is that the right word? Yeah. Every, every two, two years. years. I always get confused whether which word means every two years and which Same. is twice a year. But, I should know So this. every two years. <laughs> yes. So we're, we, yes, we're definitely going to build the um, conference and we have um, some anchor funding to build our youth leadership, to build our, our youth justice track um, from um, generous donation from the Levitt Foundation. Um, so yeah, 2020 conference planned for the spring. We really want to build off the great work um, and, and pivot that we did in 2018. I also want to make sure that we're try we're able to bring back the gala this fall. Mm. I would really love to to use that as a not just a fundraiser for the organization, but as a genuine opportunity for folks to be connected to the culinary world, the food world. And, um, you know, community leaders and people really felt like they were seen and heard in that gala. They got connected to um, the intersection of our like food justice access and culinary space, writers, um, chefs, restaurants. I really want to continue to amplify folks of color, folks that are mission aligned with just food and making sure our partners in the food growing space and our eating space are also connected to um, the, the chefs and the right. food and nutrition education.
Do you have a date for the gala yet? Or? Um, no, oh, right okay. now we're looking at the fall, okay. but we, I'm, I'm also starting to look for f- sponsors. Got it. So, um, yeah, help support Just Food. <laughs> Amazing. Kiana, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.